Well, it's good to see all y'all. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor of the church. We are a church blessed with unbelievably talented musicians and singers. And I realized, you know, all of them, many of them. Uh, and I realized every time Brian's gone, I don't know that we really need him. I don't think so. And uh, Elle, Elle's agreeing with me. She's over there. Yeah, I think so. Singer. I know one thing for sure. I get up here quicker when he's not here. I don't know why, but when he's here, it's like we're running over. Brian, let's go. I, and I think I know why. It's his ego. But uh, that's beside the point. So um, we're not getting rid of Brian. It's not going to happen because his wife and daughters, I uh, couldn't do that to them. Same thing about Joe. I, I couldn't get rid of Joe because of his wife and kids. So they're safe. Don't worry. Don't worry about all that. Uh, we, we began a series last week called It Begins. And uh, the series is taken from the first two chapters of the book of Acts. And it deals with the fact that in the first two chapters, we see the beginning of the Christian movement, the Christian era. In fact, the book of Acts is about that movement of that early church and how it all came about and the things that happened. And last week, I shared with you kind of what I want you to get out of the entire series, um, which is this, that uh, no story matters more than the story of Jesus. That there is no story that will ever matter as much as the story of Jesus. Now, we were in the, the first few verses of the book, verses 1 through 5. We're going to come today through verses 6 through 9. It's got the most famous verse probably in all of Acts, in, it, in uh, Acts 1-8. And uh, here's the thing that I want you to get from the message today. And it's this. Once you are a follower of Jesus, your primary responsibility is to share the story of Jesus. That is who he is and what he did. This is according to Jesus. Now, according to Jesus, and, and, and probably he's our best authority, that once you become his follower, you share a story. And so I'm going to share a couple things with you from the passage today in, from, in, about the sermon. And I'm going to begin this way. I'm going to talk to you about the end before the beginning. Because before it begins, something had to end. And you, what was it that had to end was Jesus' time on earth. I mean, one of the themes you see consistently in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they tell the story of Jesus, is him telling them, you know, my time's going to end, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he tells them, listen, when I'm gone, you're going to do things more than I ever did. And he's not talking about miracles or everything greater than the resurrection. He's talking about just reaching people. You're going to reach people more than I ever reached. And so, you know, something has to end before... It begins. And I, I kind of want to just kind of take you back to the world and to the mindset of those guys, those, those 11 men that were left. Now, there were, there were numerous followers of Jesus. We know in Matthew, that I may know from, so from Corinthians, that at one time after his resurrection, he appeared to more than 500 people in Galilee. So, you know, there was at least 500 believers, you know, and there was, you know, about 100 plus uh, hanging around Jerusalem at this time. But he picked 12 guys. Now, Judas is gone. Judas betrayed and killed himself. So there's 11 guys left. That are the main guys. And in their world, try to understand how they thought and, and how they grew up. They grew up being told and, and, and learning that there was going to come a time in the world of, of Judaism, from Israel, that a Messiah would come. And that Messiah would come and he would, he would take the Jewish people and he would establish them once again as the most powerful nation in all the world. And they would rule the world. And they would rule the world forever and people would live forever then. You know, and there would be that rule and... And that all the Gentile nations would be judged. And they'd be judged harshly. Now, you've got to realize that for over 600 years now, the people of Israel, except for one brief period of time, have been ruled by somebody. Once Nebuchadnezzar came in, in, you know, in 598, they're about, and took over Judah, then destroyed the temple and all that in 587. You know, there were the Babylonians. Then after the Babylonians, there were the Medo-Persian Empire. 
after them, there were the Greeks. There was a brief period of time after the Greeks where they kind of self-rule a little bit, and then there were the Romans. And so really for 600 years, I mean 600 years, somebody had been in charge of them. And they hated that, and so they looked for the day. And in what we call the Old Testament, their scriptures, they pointed to someone coming. They knew Psalm 72 and Psalm 89, and they knew um, you know, Isaiah 40 through 55, though they didn't number them that way. They knew that they said someone was coming. And when that someone come, they were, they were going to be established. They were going to be it. And these guys realized that was happening. They thought in Jesus. Because Jesus came, and he called them, and he set these guys apart. And they hung with him, and they followed him. And he did these amazing miracles, and thousands of people would follow him. And just a few weeks before this incident we're talking about today, they came into the holy city in Jerusalem right before Passover, and thousands of people lined the street proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. And they thought, man... He is going to do away with the Romans, and we are in business. And those guys, they were his guys. Oh, man, they would be in charge of so much stuff. They would be so important and so powerful, and that's what they thought. And then, lo and behold, Jesus dies. I mean, the Jews give him over to the Romans, and the Romans kill him. And they thought everything was over, everything was lost. And then Jesus comes back to life. And you have the resurrection of Jesus, and he appears to them, and he starts talking about the kingdom being established and all the things that are going to happen. And so they start thinking, this is it. We're going to have that kingdom, that rule, that reign. Now, they had forgotten that the kingdom was already in hand with Jesus. I mean, when Jesus came, the kingdom came with him. He talks about that. In the New Testament, he talks about, yeah, the gospels. The kingdom is now. I am the kingdom. He's the king. I'm a follower of the king. I'm part of his kingdom. But they forgot all that. And they just thought, he's going to make it happen. And we're going to be big shots in that kingdom. So verse 6 says this. So they had come together. They were asking him. That means they kept asking over and over and over. Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Right now, at this time, at this moment... The word restore means to put back into its proper place, to put it back to where it once was. And once Israel was the most powerful nation in the world, six centuries earlier, actually more than that, back with David, almost a thousand years earlier, when they were the most powerful nation in the world, they were it. And so they said, you're going to restore it? Is it this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, to Israel, to them? Now they, they, didn't, they, they had forgotten everything Jesus said about reaching people. They ignored all the stuff that Jesus talked about in terms of reaching Gentiles. They had forgotten the things even the old scripture said about reaching Gentiles. You're going to make us it and put us in charge. And the apostles were like so many people today. There's so many people in the church. They love Jesus. But man, the apostles got things wrong. They were focused on the wrong things. First, they were focused on themselves. They were thinking, well, what, what, are, what are we going to be doing? The kingdom's coming. They were thinking about, you know, we think about our churches a lot. I know a lot of, a lot of folks in their church, all they think about is their church. How does this affect our church? How's this gonna, what's this going to mean to our church? What's happening in our church? They don't, they don't think outside the church. They don't think about themselves. And you, you've got to think about your relationship with Jesus. I get that. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. Your relationship with Jesus matters. But they, they were just thinking about where they fit. And on top of that, they were thinking about the end times because this is their version of the end times. When you come, the Messiah comes and establishes the kingdom. I mean, that's the end. You know, we, we think about the second coming of Christ, which is so important. In fact, in September, I'm going to preach about the second coming of Christ. Probably not the way some of you hope I preach about it, but I'm going to preach about it. 
But our problem is we get too focused on things. There are things that are important, but they're not the priority. And they begin to make the priority. The priority was what was going to happen in the end. What was going to happen to them? And they forgot what Jesus was saying about the right now. We know this is true for what happens next. In verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epics when the Father has fixed, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He said, The end times is not for you to worry about. That's really what he's saying, because that's what the discussion is about, that ending of that kingdom. He says, It's not for you to worry about. He says, You don't need to know. The word know means to understand. You don't need to understand all that. You don't need to grasp all that. It's not important. The Father has fixed it. The said by his own authority. The word authority. And and, and we're going to see in verse 8 another word in the Greek. And Jesus spoke in Aramaic, but the writers wrote in Greek. And there's reasons for that. And the words mean something. But this word means authority. means your right to have power. Your right to be in charge by your position or who you are. If you're a king, just by being king, you have authority. And when you're God... It's just by being God, you have all authority. He says, you don't need to know the times or the epics. Now, the word time and epic is, is two words in the Greek. The word time is chronos. We get a word chronometer from it. Epic is kairos. And, and they kind of cover time in all its fullness. In other words, the word the chronos means time as such, you know, the specific time. You know, it's you know, 10, 1013. The word Kairos means the, the season or the, or, the, or the kind of the general time at hand. Put it to you this way. Kairos is like this. We have four church services on Sunday. That's the, that's the basic time. The chronos is we have it at 8, 39, 45, 11, and 12, 15. And I hope there's no more after that. I don't think so. I think we're through at four. I know I'm through at four. I mean, that's so, so you, right now... You're in the kairos, you're in the, you're in the day of worship, but you're at a specific time. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about any of that stuff. You know, a lot of you spend too much time worrying about when Jesus comes again. I mean, it's important that you know he's coming again, because it matters. But you don't need to know the when and the why and all. You don't need to know all the details. Some of you want to know, people all the time come up to me. They'll ask me, David, do you think we're living in the last times? I always say yes, because since the day Jesus came, the New Testament teaches we're living in the last times. But if you mean by, do I think that he's going to come in the next you know, few years? No, I don't. Because I just don't think anything points to that. And it's not for us to know. It doesn't matter. I, I'm not going to worry about it. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I don't want Jesus to come when I'm alive. Do you know why? Because there's people I love and care about that I want to be saved. And I know when Jesus comes, salvation's over. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I don't want Jesus to come for as long as anybody I know is alive. If, I, if, 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 if they're breathing and I know them right now, I don't want Jesus to come because I want all of them to have a chance, even after I'm dead, to come to salvation. Now, after that, yeah, I don't care at that point. <laughs> he can come all he wants. He's going to come sometime. And what I'm saying to you is I'm not worried about when he comes because that's not what I'm supposed to focus on. Here's what I'm supposed to focus on. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to remotest parts of the earth. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to receive power. The word power here is a word that means raw ability. Dunamis. It means it's not, you don't have it. 
He says, but you're going to get it when the Holy Spirit comes. He's going to give you something you don't have. He's going to give you raw ability to witness. The word witness is we get our term martyr from it. A martyr is someone who dies for a cause to which they give testimony. Of the 11 guys that he's primarily talking to, 10 of them will die for Jesus. They'll be martyred. He says, you're going to witness. You're going to tell people my story. He says, you're going to begin in Jerusalem. Then you're going to go to Judea. Then you're going to go to Samaria, to the Samaritans whom you don't like. And you're going to go to all the world. That's what you're going to do. And that's exactly what happens. This is, in essence, a blueprint for the book of Acts. This is almost like a table of contents. Just read Acts. It just follows this pattern. But in it, Jesus does something else. And sometimes when I preach from verse 1-8, I'll, this is my main focus and sometimes of this. But what he does is he gives three things. He gives vision, mission, and strategy. The vision is seeing the things that the way they could be. Mission is basically purpose, what you're doing. And strategy is the step. So he says, here's the vision. I want the whole world to hear the gospel. That's his vision that everybody hears about him. That hadn't happened yet, by the way, but that's his vision. Secondly, the mission is for you to witness, for you to tell them about me. That is your purpose in life. Nothing changes that. And then the strategy was when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll start here. Then you'll go to the area around it. Then you go to the people you don't like. You go to a different world. The rest of the world. That's your stat- strategy, and that's what happens. It's still true today. We have in the churches visions, missions, and strategies. The vision for our church, you know, when I came, you'd already bought this property. You know, our vision, you know, in essence was to relocate here and change the culture so we can reach the next generation of people. That's our vision. Come out here. We're still in the process of building. we got another phase, phase two. People ask me all the time, when's phase two? It's going on right now. You just don't see any of it happening because we're dealing with, you know, the, the contractor architects are getting everything finalized. But, you know, that's going to happen. That's part of the relocation. That's part of the vision, changing our culture so that we can reach a whole new generation of people. The mission, the purpose is to reach people for Jesus. That's why we're here, to reach people for Jesus. Then the strategy, and we have multiple strategies, but the strategy is this church basically to do that. And Joe talks about it a lot when he comes up here and and welcomes y'all, is to get you involved in worship, service, and community or connecting. We want you to worship, we want you to serve, and we want you to connect. And here's why. Because we know people who are not followers of Jesus, if they'll be involved worshiping, serving, and with the community group, with connecting with people, they'll become followers of Jesus. We also know that if you are a follower of Jesus and you're involved in worship, service, and community, you're more likely to share your faith with others. And that's what we want you to do. So that's it. That's what Jesus told them. And then here's what happens next in verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. When the cloud received him out of their sight, he was gone. He said, Holy Spirit's coming. Here's what you're going to do. And he was out. They didn't ask questions. They didn't get to discuss it. You know, they... Up until that moment, they had everything wrong. He corrected them, and he left. And he knew the Holy Spirit was going to come, and the Holy Spirit will sort it all out. And they had to figure it out. And that was the end before the beginning. The second thing I want to focus on in this message is the main thing. The main thing. So coming up in almost 43 years of uh, ministry, I've, uh, as a pastor, I've had lots of times when I've had to bring uh, people on my staff into positions. And so I've, I've, had, I've seen lots of resumes. I've, seen, uh, probably, I've probably read over 1,000 resumes, man. I have undoubtedly had several hundred phone conversations, and I've talked to dozens and dozens of people. And I'll always ask them, especially when I get to the conversation part, 
What, what is ministry to you? What, what is your ministry about? And almost every single time they say the same thing, especially when they're young. Man, I just want to build disciples. I just want to focus on discipleship. And I know it's coming, so I ask them the follow-up question. I say, okay, what does that mean? And most of the time, what it means is wrong or not fully correct. See, when you go over to Matthew chapter 28, and you have the Great Commission, which is the companion to Acts 1-8, Jesus says, go make disciples. You know, he says, all authority has been given to me. So you go and you make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I've commanded you. He said, your purpose is to make. What are you making? Disciples. You do that because you go get them. So you got to go to people who aren't disciples. And then he says, you baptize them, which means they have to become saved. You have to evangelize them. Because you only baptize people who are believers. So you got to make them become believers. And then you teach them. What do you teach them? The things I commanded you. What did he command? To go make disciples. That's what he commands. And that's it. Too many times we think discipleship is just about us growing and knowing. And it's important. It is. You need to grow. And so, you know, we, we just focus on that part. You know what a disciple, here's the thing about a disciple. The word disciple, a disciple was someone back then who learned from a master and then taught what the master taught them so that the other person would also follow the master. The purpose of a disciple was to go get someone who wasn't a disciple and make them follow or lead them to follow the master. It's always the going and the bringing and the going. That was always the priority. When the time Jesus brought these guys on, he kept sending them out. He would send them out while he was here. He would send them out to go to this place, send them out to go. He sent them out from time to time, and they came back and they gave reports. He was trying to help them understand the going matters. Put you this way. Say, say you have someone who's never played golf in their life, and they want to play golf. They say, man, I'm going to play golf. I wake up one day, I'm going to play golf. So what they do is they go to the local golf course because they don't know what to do. So they go to the golf course. They go to the pro. That's a great place to start. And so he says, man, you need clubs. And that pro does his job because he's a pro. He sells them the clubs. They get nice clubs, man. And then they get, they get golf balls. They get the good golf balls. Maybe the Pro B ones or something even better. They get good golf balls. And they can't, they can't play the way they're dressed. They got to get golf shoes. They got to either have some nice shorts or maybe some slacks. It's a little cooler. They got to get a shirt with the, you know, the golf course logo and a hat with the golf course logo. Got to have that. Then they're going to go out. They're going to get some lessons because you got to have lessons. So they go out and they, and they pay for the lessons, you know. Once a week they're going to lessons. Then every day they go to the driving range. They spend an hour at the driving range, try to hit straight, try to get that thing long, you know, putting. And they're constantly, and week after week they go because they just they can't get it. And they're just trying. And, you know, someone says, hey, why don't you go play around the golf? So I can't play around the golf yet. I'm not any good. What if I mess up? What if I hit a bad shot? What if I duff one off the tee? What if I miss a putt? They never go. And then you have another guy said, I'm going to learn to play golf. He just gets up, and he didn't know what to do, so he goes to the pawn shop, buys some clubs. I bought irons. From, my current irons are from a pawn shop, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. And then he says, I need some golf balls. So he goes to Walmart because he's a Walmart guy. He didn't want to pay that much for the, Walmart, but the golf balls in a box. But there's a bag of used golf balls. He just gets them. And he gets his jeans, and he gets his shirt and a hat. And he puts some tennis shoes on. He goes to the golf course, and he just lines it up on that first hole. It's a par four. He shoots a 12, man. He's all over the place, but he's having fun. He, meant, he goes through. He plays 18 holes. He's hit maybe three good shots. But he said, man, those three good shots were the best shots. I'm coming back. I shot at 120, but he's coming back. <laughs> Which of those two guys is the golfer? 
It's the one you flick off. There's nothing wrong with the other guy. Everything he did was fine. There's nothing wrong with what he did. He's just not a golfer. You can look it. You can have all the clubs, all the knowledge. You can have all of that. You just never play golf. And that's the way some of you are. I mean, you, 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 you've got multiple Bibles, and that's great. You're involved in three or four groups. Man, you're, 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 you've, got, you've got podcasts you listen to every day. I know because some of you tell me about them, and I don't care. I don't care if you listen to. Listen to me. It's all I care. I know they're all good. I know they're all better than me. I don't need you to tell me. Plus, somebody's already told me that, all right? I mean, you, you, you've got all the software, but here's the problem. You never actually go share Jesus. Now, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're a Christian, but you know what you're not yet? You're not really a disciple. You've got discipleship, but the ship hasn't sailed. You haven't got it. And so we, we, we do this all the time in our life. We get so caught up in things. We get so caught up in trying to make sure we have the right kind of worship service. We get so caught up, you know, today everybody, you know, all the young guys, well, I'm going to learn apologetics. I'm going to learn apologetics, which is really just theology. And I'm like, eventually, you got to take the apologetics and start apologizing for something. I don't know why. You got you to do it. But we focus on ourselves. We focus on knowing. We focus on growing. And we never focus on going. We don't think like Jesus thinks. That's a problem. We don't think like Jesus thinks because we think about us and we don't think about them. Acts chapter three, Paul, excuse me, Peter and John, they're going to the temple and there's this guy at the gate of the entrance to the temple area. He's crippled, he's been crippled his whole life. He's there begging and they know it, they see him all the time. And so this one time Peter just stops and he says, man, I don't have any silver and I don't have any gold, but what I'll have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, you get up and walk. Now, that guy's been wanting to walk his whole life. And right now, Peter just put a ton of pressure on him because Peter just said, in the name of Jesus, you can walk. And if this guy tries to walk and doesn't, he's going to look like an absolute failure, like he doesn't have faith. Because he didn't do what he was told he could do. You ever get to a point in your life where someone tells you you don't have enough faith because you can't do what they think you should do? Peter does an amazing thing that gets overlooked. What Peter does, knowing the situation, is he reached down and he grabs the guy by the hand. And in doing that, Peter risks everything. Because now the burden is not on this guy any longer. Now the burden, God bless you. I know, it's like an amen, you're fine. So I was like, sometimes I just can't help but react. So where was? Oh, he reached in, the burden is placed on Peter. It's him, because now if this guy doesn't walk, it's on Peter. It's his reputation that's shot. He puts the gospel at risk. Peter reaches down and he pulls him up. And this guy stands and walks. Man, craziness breaks loose. So Peter and John start preaching. He's saying, you, Jesus, you crucified and God raised him from the dead. And people are going crazy coming after Jesus. And then the Jewish leaders find out. And in chapter 4, the guys who put Jesus to death, those guys from the Jews, have Peter and John before them. And they're questioning him. And they just start saying, talking about Jesus, you crucified him, God raised him from the dead. And in fourth chapter of, of Acts, the 12th verse, Peter says this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. He said, you want salvation, it's found in no one else but Jesus. The first time I ever preached to this church, when I came for y'all to vote on me in March 2015, that's the verse I preached from, Acts 4.12. The last time that I preached at this church, assuming I don't still die before that, but if I walk out on my own accord, I'll preach from Acts 
So if you come one Sunday morning, I'm preaching from Acts 4.12. That's it. If I go to another church, I'll preach the very first message, Acts 4.12. It's a message entitled The Main Thing. And here's what I say in that message. The main thing is to make the main thing. The main thing. That is a cliche. But while it may be a cliche, it is also the heart and soul of everything I believe that Jesus teaches. That the main thing in our life is to take the main thing, which is the story of Jesus, and make that the most important thing we do. Because salvation is found in no one else. And you get to the book of Acts, and this is what they focus on. Peter, John, Paul. That's what they focus on. And we say in the series that it begins, you may say what begins. Well, I'll tell you what begins. What begins is the sharing of the story of Jesus. And it never stops. It never stops in the book of Acts. And it doesn't stop to this day. It doesn't stop in what we do or who we are. Sharing the story of Jesus never ends. Now listen, we want you, we want you to grow in Christ. So we, we believe in worship and service and, and, and in community. And the reason we believe that is because we honestly believe that if you're not a follower of Jesus and you will come to our worship services and if you will find some place to serve and there are places you can serve and if you will get involved in a sense of, 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 a, of a community group, of, of, of getting to know other people, we honestly believe that you'll come to Jesus. But not only do we believe that you'll come to Jesus, this is what we know is that for people to be able to share their faith, most of the people that share their faith, most of them, not all of them, most of them are involved in worship and service and community. And people who don't get involved in worship and service and community don't really help people come to Jesus. We put it to you this way. We invest in you so that you will invest in others. First Baptist Church will invest in you so that you will invest in other people. There's a lot of ways to share Jesus. Not everyone can just tell people. I know it's hard sometimes, especially if you don't know him well. In fact, the hardest people to tell about Jesus are the people close to you because they know <laughs> you probably don't live it the way you talk about it, huh? Sometimes you tell people about Jesus, and sometimes, you know what you do? You just bring them to church. You know, there's, one of the best things you can do in someone is to just bring them here, get them involved in worship, service, and community. I know some people act like, well, you know, if you don't actually verbalize your faith, if all you do is bring people to the church, you're really not, you're really not being much of a witness. Oh, yeah, you are. That's a good thing to do. Don't let anyone ever kid you. Sometimes what you got to do is just minister to people. They're hurting, they're suffering. You minister to them, and you love them. Sometimes you got to walk through life with them, man. You have to kind of proverbially just take them by the hand and walk through life hand in hand. It's whatever they're struggling, you're going to struggle with them. Sometimes you've got to help them experience the joy and power of forgiveness in their life. You've got to go through life with them. You've got to share Jesus. So I want to ask you just two questions. And these are the questions. Do I think like Jesus? Do I share a story? Do you think like Jesus thinks? It's okay to focus on your growth. You got to do that. I focus on my growth. You want me to grow. You want me to grow, become a better pastor, a better preacher. I, mean, I, I try to do that. And some of you are hoping one day I'll get better. I know. I know. It's all right. But it's not about you. Do you think like Jesus thinks? Because Jesus always thought about others. And he told these 11 guys, 
You don't need to worry about what you're doing in terms of the kingdom. You don't even know where about the kingdom coming. You need to go witness. The second thing then is do you share Jesus? Because if you don't share Jesus, you don't think like Jesus. If you don't ever share Jesus, you don't think like Jesus thinks. Now, I don't know about you, but I always kind of want to do things the way Jesus does it. I kind of like to be on the same side as him. So I began the message saying that once you become a follower of Jesus, your primary responsibility is to share the story of Jesus. That's who he is and what he does. Well, do you share that story? Who do you know that needs Jesus? Is it possible that there are people in your life that really need him? One or two come to mind. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to share that story with them? How are you going to make that story come alive in their life? Because that's what Jesus wants you to do. But is it possible that maybe the person you know in your life who needs Jesus is, well, he's you. Maybe you're the one who needs Jesus. Because you're really not a follower. You're not a disciple. So maybe what you need to do today is to give your life to Jesus. To trust him. He'll save you from your sin. He'll make you right with God. In just a minute, I'm going to stand right here. There'll be a few others stand here. At least one of our ladies will be up here also. Sometimes women prefer to talk to other women. If you've never trusted Christ, you can do that. We'll help you. If you want to pray for someone, man, we'll pray with you. Maybe you want to pray for yourself that you'll start sharing. We'll do that with you. You want to join our church, you can. Whatever you want to do, but just be sure that when you do this and when you walk away, be sure you do this. Be sure when you go out there, you think like Jesus thinks. Think like Jesus thinks. And be sure you know what is the main thing. And Father, we come before you in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is an awesome power that gives us the power to witness, the power to share, the power to grow. We come to you so that we can think like Jesus thinks. And we can share his story with people who need the story. We come so that you can take our life and you can make our life what you want it to be because we can't do it on our own. But we can do it through the Holy Spirit. So take us. Help us to think just like Jesus thinks. And help us to share his story.